Welcome back to episode 7 of WNBA Retrospect, the historical WNBA scouting series. Today we'll discuss Sue Bird's prospects out of UConn as the first guard to be selected with the number one overall draft selection in WNBA history. Lothelman's basketball starts now. Welcome to Wallet. For the win! You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome. You are Lothelman's basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever your podcast and on YouTube. My name is Hunter Cruz and I'm your Saturday host covering prospect scouting and women's basketball at large. I'm joined by my host, M. Adler and Lincoln Schaefer. M covers WNBA in the New York market with a focus on player development and scouting. M. Lincoln is an indispensable part of our scouting team. You can find him on Twitter at Dovinia underscore. All right, so as I said, our conversation subject today is UConn Sue Bird. So let's take you back to 2002. Before Bird's WNBA career, she was a national champion and player of the year at UConn, averaging 11.7 points and 5.0 assists on 46% shooting from beyond the arc across 118 career games. So for you, Lincoln, I'm putting you on the spot here, but just from watching Sue in college, what is one word to describe her game? Steady. Um, she's kind of like the pulse of that UConn team. She's uh, handling the ball. She's really impressive in transition, especially uh, to my eye. But she's just like she does what's asked of her, and she does like that's I think one of her strengths as a prospect is uh, scalability and role versatility is that she can play on the ball. She can play off the ball. She has uh, elite shooting numbers in college and just makes good decisions with the ball in her hands. That's what is going to make her an elite prospect in in my mind. And she clearly not only has all those skills, but she refines them over time. She comes into college as... If anyone has seen Sue Bird at any point in her WNBA career, you can imagine she's been pretty polished for her entire life in terms of uh, being on the court. But she was she was very polished by the time she got to UConn, and it's pretty wild how she's one of the best point guards in the country from the minute she steps on the court. There, you know, she misses a lot of her freshman season with injury, but you know, even with that, she continually improves over time, just rounding up the skill set, Hunter. You, you mentioned her overall stats. Her senior year stats by themselves are absolutely ridiculous. As a senior, Sue averaged 14.5 points on, on only 10 shots a game. Her shooting splits were 51% from the field, 47% from three, 92% from the line. Almost half of her shots, over a third of her shots, were from three. She had 5.9 assists per game with a 2.5 to 1 assist to cover ratio and averaged 2.5 uh, steals per game. This, it's, it is ridiculous what she's able to do with everything she had and how well she was able to read the court and how cerebral she was. Lincoln, you mentioned transition. Basically, she's, she is everything you could possibly want out of, out of the platonic ideal of a point guard for the early aughts, just in terms of how she manages transition, how she makes decisions, how she prioritizes things. And 
I think would be very interesting for a number of reasons, but for what we're talking, I'm talking about right here, it'd be very interesting to see how that would have adapted if in her athletic prime she had been playing in today's kind of ball, just just because of the way the pace is the pace is pushed differently in more pick and rolls or one she didn't run a whole hell of a lot of them at UConn before she got to the storm, which we'll get to later. Um, yeah, with Sue, one thing we didn't mention was she played alongside Diana Taurasi, and whenever she got open shots, she just didn't miss any open shots. It almost felt like I was clipping pretty much every three-pointer that was wide open she was making. Um, I was impressed with just her feel. like Just like you guys said, she's just a high-level processor of the game. She's mm-hmm. so cerebral. She knows just the little things on the court. Like She's just such a smart player. Um, we're just talking about a player that averaged – she shot 50-40-90 in the early 2000s, came the WNBA, which we'll talk about later. Better than 50-40-90. Yeah, she immediately came in and was just translated immediately efficiency-wise, which is like what we've seen with other prospects in our series. It usually takes them a couple years at least to get efficient with her. From the jump, she was already there. Um, and I think, no pun intended, part of that yeah. part of that thing with the jump was the jumper. I, I've, I've said this before, and, and Lincoln, I'll throw it to you real quickly, but because – you know, you know this stuff very well, but you know, as far as I can tell, her her jump shot is basically the the textbook jumper. It's exactly the same pulling up versus off the catch, and I don't think you could possibly have a more efficient transfer of power from the legs to the other body. It's so clean, yeah, and it looks the same when she's nineteen as when she's thirty eight. It looks the same every time that I've seen her shoot a basketball, <laughs> and that's just. It's not an easy thing to do to do that, like to have the same mechanics and the same like efficiency. She never shot like a bad percentage from three in the WNBA. She shot over 40 percent, probably more often than she shot below 35 percent. But just to, to see just that incredibly clean transition, incredibly clean mechanics, like it's so fun to watch because um, a lot of those college teams – are trying to play zone defense and they just can't successfully play zone against these UConn teams. Sue's too good of a shooter and too good of a decision maker. She'll just like bait the corner up from the zone and create wide open threes for herself, for Diana Taurasi and for Shea Ralph. And it's just, it's debilitating uh, to watch those defenses just fail to do anything against Sue Bird, especially just creating havoc in zone defenses. Sue and Diana played, or they they started one year next to each other, Sue's so senior year, Diana's sophomore year. During that season, they both shot over 50% from the field and over 45% from three on huge, on huge numbers of attempts from three. It's so funny. And yeah, so I have, I have a quote after the draft. Lynn Dunn was with Seattle. Um, and she compared, she compared Sue Bird's game to a blend between Jennifer Ozzie and also compared her to Don Staley. Just that combination of players. Um, you don't really see a lot of comparisons back then. You didn't really see kind of that analysis kind of stuff then. But I think it's kind of accurate just of what you see from from both players and Sue Bird in general um, in college. Even then, they were even. Even the, even the expectation then was she was going to come in and make an immediate impact on Seattle. Like she didn't lose games in college. Like she didn't. She rarely lost games. 
um, just a winning player in general, even after her ACL injury uh, freshman year. She came back and was just immediately impactful to offense um, and defense as well, just being able to communicate as well. But after the break, we'll get into our scouting grades on Bird, um, and then we'll later talk. We'll later talk about her WNBA career in Seattle. Football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel has given you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOnNBA and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash Welcome back. I'm your host, Hunter Cruz, and thanks for joining us. Let's get into our scouting grades on birds, slowly based on the film we watched pre-WNBA, taking into account the state of the league rather than an emphasis on current WNBA team building and schematic philosophies. But first, for those unfamiliar, we use a 2080 baseball-like scouting scale of 40 as an average WNBA contributor, a player that contributes on the kind of above replacement level value, 45 is a top-end backup, 50 is your average starter, 55 is your above average starter, 60 is an all-star caliber player, 70 is an all-WNBA caliber player, and finally, 80 is reserved for your MVP candidates, your first-team all-WNBA players. Um, but first, I'll give it to you, Lincoln. Um, what did you see from Bird, and what would you grade her back then? Yeah, for me, it's um... – I see, like, an all-star player, absolutely. Um, but I'm not sure that off of her college tape I can get to an all-W-level player. So I'd go in, like, the high end of um, a 60 grade. So, like, a definite all-star. But I'm I'm not sure that I see, like, a ceiling of an, a perennial all-W candidate or, like, a um, MVP candidate, really. What about you, Em? I'm pretty similar. I'm a little bit... I, the difference between my grade and Lincoln's is basically a rounding error. I have her as just a roll six thing on, not necessarily a, a hard or a, or a high six at that. You know, I think the defense is pretty atrocious just overall. Um, she, we, we mentioned this with Teacher when we did uh, one of our first couple episodes for, for people who've been listening for a while, but... You know, Ticha had this thing where she was obviously great at, at the point of attack, but had the tendency to get beaten, but was still really good at these poke-away steals from behind. That didn't translate for Ticha in the W nearly as much. And you see Sue at UConn, she's almost hunting those steals in a way that, like, it's the only good thing about her defense, and it's shocking how often she does it. I don't know what I could have made of, of that being in, in terms of able to translate, but you know, just given the constraints of that role at the time, you know, the defense is less important uh, for that position than it would have been today. Um, but on the flip side, being able to use the whole ability of her shooting um, puts her at a six for me. If we had been doing this today, I would honestly have her as a soft seven because I would have a lot more faith in uh, possible in coaches actually using her as a combo instead of just a point. Yeah, so... I actually have a soft seven on her from what I saw at UConn. Um, like you said, though, at UConn, we saw the ability to play on off ball, and that's probably what gives me more promise. 
Because um, if she was utilized just on ball, I think you could kind of just see six. But I think based on what I saw at UConn, I kind of just saw a player that is just the perfect point guard for the era. Um, like what we saw with, like you said, with Tisha. Uh, Sue was a better finisher. I think she had better touch around the rim. She had better control of her finishes. Um, her burst was I better, I thought. I think I, thought, I think that's like I think that's like saying that an eagle is better at flying than than a tortoise. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I thought Sue was a good, was a good finisher. Like I don't think she was she was amazing, but she was she was solid finisher. Um, really really good shooter. One of the best shooting prospects of the early era. So I think seven. I think that's what kind of the team's expectations were back then. Um, was just a player that you can plug and play at the point guard position. Um, it's stable, like Lincoln said, just stability you can get from her. Um, but yeah, the, the value of her now is just even more to consider player on off ball. Um, because when we saw her in transition, whenever UConn's offense was flying, um, she, she was incredible, so dangerous. Yeah, well, in the uh, beginning, to me, unbelievable, the and the ability to just make anything happen. Like, I don't know if there's been, including Teacher, I don't know if there's anyone I've ever seen who. If there is a pass to be made, she will find a way to make the pass. Well, and the thing to me um, about Sue as a prospect is that I just don't see a way that she's not, like, at least an above-average WNBA player from this college tape. Her floor is so high. She just makes things happen on the floor. And her ability to play in any system on any team, you don't really have to build around Sue Bird. You have a team and you add Sue Bird and it makes it better no matter who else is on the team. You're just that's that's the big thing to me about Sue Bird as a prospect is that she has very low bust potential and she's incredibly easy to fit within a different team context. And I think there was more of... emphasis on that Sorry, than I think there was more emphasis on that than more stability. Um, like we saw with Tisha, just because there's the only two um, comparing this, the only two guards we've talked about so far. With Tisha, it felt like you had to build more of a scheme around her, like we saw in Sacramento, where she had the offensive players around her. Where with Sue, like you said, she can kind of fit in pretty much any context. I hadn't thought about this before until you're just talking about the, the the downside still being so high, and. Uh, Hunter, to your point, we actually have talked about another guard prospect, and this is uh, a perfect segue into comps, because Lincoln, you made me think, Sue, the, the worst case scenario for Sue, other than like catastrophic career-ending injury, is basically the best case scenario for Kelly Miller at the same time. You have, you have a quality three-point shooter, questionable mid-range pull-up shooting that they're over-reliant on, not a good driver in the slightest, Great passer, great passing ability, good playmaking in general, really good in transition, can't play defense. That's the, you know, that is what we talked about last week as being what you want to get out of Kelly Miller. And that's really the worst case scenario if you get out of Sue. And that's basically what you get out of Sue for the first couple of years in the W, which you know, we'll get into in our third segment. But when you, if that's what the, the least you, you get out of it, that's pretty good. And it turns out that, that she had a sort of very hard to, a very inscrutable peak is what I'll call it. Again, we'll get to that next. But I think overall, just in terms of the skill set as a prospect, what we saw in the W, especially, I think especially once um, Brian Adler 
was getting a little more experimental with how he used Hurrell Chapestone, not as much as he probably should have, but at least in that sense. And especially once you get Dan Hughes and Noel Quinn coaching her at the end of her career, I think I think she is just what Sabrina Ionescu is right now. It's incredibly like incredibly similar skill sets. And this is Hunter, while you and I are both sort of like if Sue came out today, this is a soft seven. No a better passing ability than Sabrina, but not by an enormous margin at this point in time. But I think in terms of the ability to toggle on and off the ball, the the extreme gravity as a shooter and the ability to leverage that to as an elite playmaker, either in the half court, which Sabrina is really, I think is really getting there this year, um, or just, you know, especially off the catch and leveraging that gravity, an incredibly, inflicting, like, unbelievable offensive player. Um, and I think that's why... Um, I'd definitely have her a great hire today. Lincoln, I know you have some interesting comps you've been looking forward to. Um, yeah, I, there's, so the, the first comp that came to me um, was something like Dallas Mavericks, Jason Kidd uh, on their title teams with uh, a steady hand at the, as the lead ball handler. And at that point uh, developing a three point shot, not going to do like a ton more than you ask, but going to um, do do their job. Um, and that's what Super does. And the other one is uh, my first inanimate object as a com- comparison is a grandfather clock. Uh, it looks great. <laughs> it's, it's just going to go up and down. It's got the nice little pendulum swing. It's, it's just like steady. It holds... And it, it does what you ask of it. And I think that Sue Bird's college tape shows me a perfect connector who's steady and patient. And I it's it's got the same vibes as, as a nice grandfather clock. That is the best. I hope you're proud of yourself for that. <laughs> I am. <laughs> okay, so after the break, we'll get into Sir, Sue's WNBA career. Um, and that was a good lead into um, what happened in Seattle. All right, so starting off here with Sue's WNBA career. So when she entered the league the year prior, the WNBA's league average three-point mark was 33.6%. So in 2002, her rookie season, she was the only player to shoot 40% from three, minimum three attempts, and record a 30% assist rate, right? She did that seven times in her WNBA career. And, and she did not just it. take three attempts, to be clear. She took she took four and a half. Right. <laughs> right. That would be here. Only only five players have done that ever. And Sue did it seven of those times. And Becky Hammond did it twice. Nikki Teasley did it two times. Chelsea Gray did it one time. And then uh, Cynthia. Not one time technically could still be zero times. It's this year. Right. Yeah, that is, that is this year. And then Sabrina was also close to this mark as well. But Very close. just in general, to do that seven times, when we're talking about stability, consistency, she maintained that from her rookie season. And she did that. I think she had a little bit of a gap in between, but she did that later in her career as well, which is she um, shot 43%. She shot 43% on four and a half threes a game, or on almost five threes a game from like her uh, age 35 through her age 40 seasons in the W. Yeah, just at, at the same time, she had a shooting. one assist. 
at the same time, she had a three to one assist turnover ratio. So like in terms of in terms of what you want as a passer and as a shooter, like it's it's everything there. Um, I think there are questions to be had about sort of the value. And this is where I think it gets interesting to mention Becky Hammond. We mentioned this with teaching, but I think it is very interesting how any given person who like knows W history, I think it's very interesting how you order your your GOAT point points. I think we would all agree the teacher's probably not a very good pick for the top grouping there. I think most people would probably come to some consensus that in no particular order, it's Sue, Becky, Sloot, Chelsea Brook at this point, who are your like real GOAT point guard contenders. You know, and I think there are questions, there are fair questions to be had, and I, I can defend anyone putting them in any order, frankly. For me, the the volume of Sue's playmaking is super impressive as it is, and her assist ratio is sterling, of course, but it's not like leaps and bounds better than Becky's. And Becky is someone who was one of the greatest shot creators in WNBA history, in, in addition to that playmaking. Whereas Sue's Regular season numbers are super efficient, except she doesn't get to the line much, so it keeps the true shooting down a bit compared to that game, who's one of the greatest free throw um, drawers of all time. So again, I think it's interesting how the how the volume of everything but playmaking and raw three-point shooting for Sue is so much lower in her regular season. And like, and this is what you talk about, someone being super steady and super polished, but and I think this is a question I had at UConn is sort of where is the standout? If you're not being used the way that Sandy Brondello is using Sabrina Nescu right now with to leverage all that shooting gravity, which again, I really think Sue had the ability to do. But if you're not doing that, it's where is your sort of game breaking? Where is where are you really able to push and 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 really lead the team, really lead the team as opposed to just um, I shouldn't say they're the team, but were you able to elevate players who maybe wouldn't be able to get to a certain level rather than just helping players who are already good be even better? And you see this throughout her Storm career. Sue is the sort of greatest addition to any team that already has good players. But when they don't, you know, after LJ gets injured until they draft Jewel and Stewie, you know, there is this dead period where Sue is still a good player, but she's not helping them get to winning much. They miss the playoffs too just because of, partly because of injury for her, she has her second, she has her second ACL tear, but also because, you know, the skill set isn't really tailored to elevating worse supporting casts in a way that, you know, the best playmaker in the men's side right now, uh, Nikola Jokic, he's the best sort of force multiplier, as Mike Prada, uh, it's a term he used, is the best in the NBA at that, but also he's was able to elevate because of the scoring these sort of really bad injured Nuggets teams couple of years ago to still make playoff runs. The interesting thing for me, and this is where I don't want to sound too pessimistic on Sue, because the regular season numbers are what they are, to be clear, but also like I think she's the, just the clutchest player of all time. Like I want to be clear. Um, there are different ways to define that. Is Paul George clutch? Who knows? But I want to I want to take you through Sue Bird's playoff clutch time stats for a minute. Because her regular season stats are very good. You can look them up yourself. She shot about 40% for a career on four and a half threes a game. Her effective field goal percentage is like 52. She had five and a half assists and like a two and a half to one assist turnover ratio. But let's go through her clutch time stats 
for her entire career, she played 83 playoff games in which she had clutch time minutes. She shot 37.5% from the field, 44.5% from three, a 30% uh, assi- a 30% assist rate, and an eight and a half to one assist to turnover ratio. And she didn't just leave that there for a second. She had almost half of her threes, 30% assist rate, eight and a half to one assist to turnover ratio. You said eight and a half we to can- one? Yes. <laughs> we can get stupid. Hold on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but to be clear, we can get stupider, and I want to get stupider. Her playoff. Yeah. So her career peak in the regular season is like 2008 to 2011. She turns it on for the 2012 playoffs. So I'm going to consider her playoff peak 2008 to 2012. In that five year, five playoff span, uh, which the last one came without, you know, a good LJ came without that bad support. She played 23 ga- playoff games in which uh, she played clutch time. Or sorry, not 23 games. She played 23 minutes of clutch time. She shot 42% from the field made literally half of her threes, had a 60% true shooting percentage, and a 7 to 0 assist to turnover ratio. <laughs> Again, made half of her threes, 60% true shooting, 7 to 0 assist to turnover ratio in a five-year clutch clutch time playoff span. I, I think mm-hmm. she's the most clutch player I think she's the most clutch player of all time. And I don't know what to do with this information as far as like considering her as a player. But to be clear, there was something like she just had that dog in her. You just get get her in the prime time and she has that dog in her. And watching her college tape, especially, you get the idea that she could always ratchet up her aggressiveness. She's not like looking particularly aggressively to create her own shot. Um, but in in moments when she needs to, she she can. She never took more than 12 field goal attempts a game in the WNBA. And I don't know if she even hit double digits at UConn, but she just knows how to create efficient looks for herself and teammates like at a, a really, really, really high level. Yeah, and I think part of that is just being historically great at playing within her own skill set. Like, you can see on the UConn tape, she's pretty pretty bad at being able to do anything when she drives. Like Connor said before, she can finish. We don't really want her driving because it's, it's, it doesn't do much for you. That's just not where she is as a passer. She's not that Kelsey Plum type where she's so good at like the Nash dribble and, and passing out of that. She's just excellent above the free throw line extended, obviously. And I think, you know, that's why Again, I'd be so much higher on her in today's game. Not so much higher on her, but I think it's sort of a lost opportunity relative to today's game. I mentioned this briefly on our LJ pod, but LJ really deserved better than how she was used. She deserved to get so many more wing touches. And I think Sue deserved the kind of use that she had at the end of her career when she was this just enormous off-ball gravity threat, especially with how athletic she was at her peak the, the movement shooting would have been insane. You can see that in, in bits and pieces here at UConn, bits and pieces in French time uh, with the storm. But yeah. So thank you for joining us today for another edition of the WNBA retrospective going over Sue Bird, where our consensus grade is a is a, uh, a roll six, a 60, an all, a perennial all-star player, if you will. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Join the team at the next backs next week for continued coverage of the WNBA and women's basketball as a whole. 
if you join the three of us next week, maybe you will get to hear us talk about Sue's teammate and possibly the greatest offensive player in women's basketball history, Diana Taurasi. Have a great rest of your weekend, everyone.